With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode 15 of the podcast. I'm Carlos Guazzo, as always, joined by Brad Rowland. Brad, how's it going, buddy? I'm good, man. Uh, we're a little late this week, uh, but, you know, never never too late to talk some baseball, even on, even on a Tuesday night after a game's been played. Yep, I see you there, and I have to apologize for the podcast coming late this week. That is my fault. If you guys didn't know, quick announcement on the podcast, because things are going to be shaken up a little bit uh, moving forward, but not to the detriment of the podcast. Um, if you didn't know, I got an internship uh, with MLB.com covering the Padres this summer, similar to what I did last year with the Braves. So I just recently moved out to California, just got settled in San Diego. And unfortunately, with the internship, I will not be able to continue doing the podcast. So Brad is going to uh, take this over in his capable hands. He's going to be hosting the podcast moving forward. Uh, we're still going to be, well, wow, it's sad, but Brad will still be coming to you once a week with a uh, plenty of talking chop writers as well as some prominent Braves reporters uh, sparsed in there in the podcast. But uh, I just want to thank you guys for listening through the first 15 episodes. If you've uh, stuck with us that long, it's been fun. I've loved uh, doing this every week, talking with Brad about baseball. And uh, I'll still be around on Twitter, still be following the Braves, of course, still be popping in on Talking Chop. But I hope you guys continue to follow the podcast Regardless of uh, what I'm doing, uh, Brad's definitely got this thing taken care of moving forward. Yeah, you're stuck with me, unfortunately. But uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll do what we can. Maybe, maybe have Carlos on as a guest, maybe once, if we can talk him into it. But maybe around the Padres Brave series. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, that, that, I think that could work out. But um, Alas. I'm excited to see how Brad takes over this. I think um, the only time we've done podcasts, or the only time I've listened to a podcast by you, Brad, was when I was actually doing the podcast with you. So curious to see what you're going to do on your own in the, in the, the real world of podcasting now and letting Listen, you free into the world. Yeah, there's a reason I don't host, but now I get to host, and it's going to be a wild and wacky experience. No, it'll be good. Uh, Carlos, <laughs> Carlos is the man, obviously. We have uh, enjoyed it greatly. Hopefully he'll be back at a later time and date with me. But uh, he gets to, uh, it's kind of a big deal to go work for MLB.com, so... Big time stuff there, and uh, we'll enjoy this podcast and uh, figure it out uh, moving forward when you're back or if you're not and all that stuff. should be good. Yeah, it should be fun. It's actually interesting, too, because I don't know. There was never like a real reason for me to host the podcast. It's not like I like came in with any hosting experience. We kind of just like set it up that way because Brad is more insightful with his analysis. So uh, it'll be it interesting. Was, Let's see if you're like a versatile Ben Zobris type of podcaster, see if you can handle different roles. It was more like, hey, Carlos, you're hosting. That was more of the yeah, that was the back that was the backstory. But not, it'll be it'll be good. I'll I'll have to start uh, getting my polished voice on. But other than that, we should be good and lo- lots of Braves talk, baseball talk, and uh, we'll still have some fun. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll look forward to uh, participating as strictly a listener over the, the rest of the season. But enough of that. Let's jump into actual Braves baseball talk. Um, today wasn't that good, but the Braves have won three games out of the past five. Is it exciting for the team, or is uh, today's game too much of a damper to, to really get us excited for, for Atlanta baseball? I think it qualifies as exciting, um, even with the fact that you know the Braves got one hit on the we're coming to you Tuesday night. Uh, the Braves got one hit in a four nothing loss this evening, um, so that's not a whole lot of fun. But prior to that, they would won three out of four, which uh, constituted the best stretch of the season by kind of a wide margin. Isn't that um, sad? So, yeah, I mean at, at fifteen and, at fifteen and thirty six, you kind of get what you get. Um, that's, that's the current record of the team, um, but you know. Winning, winning more than you lose over a five-game span is now some sort of milestone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the Braves uh, have been playing better recently, even if Jake Peavy decided to morph into Cy Young <laughs> on, uh, on Tuesday night um, and at Turner Field. Um, you know, there were positives before that, at least. Yeah, and um, I didn't get to see him, but it sounded like Matt Whistler really performed pretty well. What did you see of him today? I know you got to see most of his start. Did you see the whole game? Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, pretty good from Whistler. In fact, there was a lot of people who really didn't want Whistler to come out of the game. I think he only threw uh, 79 pitches in seven innings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was sort of some questions as to why he even came out after seven. Um, you know, he gave up three earned runs, um, which isn't, you know, seven innings, three earned runs is not, like, earth-shattering. But he uh, was generally pretty good. Um, the strikeouts weren't really there. Uh, two strikeouts against two walks and seven innings, not, not really what you want to see. But he was generally pretty good mm-hmm. uh, hit, hitting his spots um, from what I could see. And, you know, not, nothing to uh, detract from the encouragement that we kind of felt with from Whistler uh, in the recent past. Um, I continue to think that he's probably going to be, you know, a good mid-rotation starter. And he's looked like that recently. I mean, for the season, now sitting with a 3.16 ERA. Um, Again, we're still doing relatively small samples given that it's still the end of May as we mm-hmm. talk. But uh, Whistler was kind of that pitcher again tonight and against a quality offense. I mean, the Giants aren't, you know, it's not murderer's row or anything, but the Giants are They're at least the Padres. Correct. Yeah, it's not an awful offense by any means. And uh, he was definitely not embarrassing, pretty solid outing, uh, giving up only three runs. And even then, that was, um, they all came in the uh, really last, I think, two or three innings of uh, mm-hmm. his outing. So it looked pretty good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to say, see how uh, Whistler continues to outperform or see if he continues to outperform his peripherals as we move on through the season. Uh, last year, he outperformed his FIP and XFIP uh, marginally. It wasn't anything too huge. But this year, he's got about a half run of difference between his FIP and his ERA and uh, more than a full run in his XFIP, which uh, kind of takes into account home run for, per fly ball ratio. So it'll be curious. It'll be interesting to see how, how that continues, if that continues. I think he's a guy that can certainly outperform his peripherals. I don't think we're ever going to see him as like a high strikeout guy, but if he can continue to work in the zone and have that good command and, and kind of sprinkle in the slider and the changeup, I think he could be a, a pitcher that you see outperform his peripherals routinely, uh, like some of the pitchers that we have in the league. But obviously we'll ne- need to see more from him as the season goes on. But I'm feeling good about my prediction that Whistler's going to be uh, the best pitcher in the rotation, even though that's not really the case right now. It's it's nice to see him succeeding. Yeah, it was definitely a good call by you, even if it's not true. It's only because um, Julio's been uh, you know better than I think any of us thought he might be, mm-hmm. uh, at least recently. Uh, Julio had that kind of a, sl- a slow start, but it's really been lights out since then. Otherwise, Whistler, what's been the most consistent guy? I'll say that yeah. from start to finish. I mean, Julio kind of had that 
that bumpy thing. I mean, he's been dominant recently, but if you look, you know, start by start by start, it really is, will be tough to blast Whistler for any of his outings. That's really good to see from a 23-year-old. Yeah, I think we should just jump into the mailbag right away now that you touched on Tehran. Um, we got a question from M. Blackburn87, uh, who asked, in light of copy laying the guidelines of a Tehran trade, what would be an expected return? Um, it's kind of interesting to me that everyone is really excited about trading Tehran, considering it was a huge question mark for him this offseason, and really uh, his value is just climbing once you couple that with the contract that he has. And currently, over 68 innings, he's posted a 2.77 ERA um, with a 3.68 FIP and a 4.05 XFIP. He's got uh, the best strikeout rate uh, since his 2013 season and the best walk rate since 2014. So not a huge gap there, but he's been really good. So uh, first of all, Brad, do you think the Braves would trade him uh, at the deadline? If they do, do you want to throw out any kind of potential trade packages? I know a lot of people like to um, ask if he could bring in the return that Shelby Miller brought in, but do you think that that's possible for him? It's so hard to gauge this stuff. I, I know. I know. Why, I know why fans ask. Uh, I mean, we're asking the same question. We're at least, at least thinking the same thing of you know what what type of package could um, Julio command. But it's it's really tough to gauge that, especially mid season. Um, the Shelby Miller trade is sort of the gold standard now um, for Braves fans as to what can, was that what we we can expect from a uh, a relatively big package like that. But at the same time, you know, it was sort of universally accepted that Arizona widely overpaid. Mm-hmm. For Shelby, so it's one of those deals like uh, it almost uh, heightened expectations to the point where they're unreachable for Copy and, and his uh, and his staff now. Um, Julio, you know, we talked about the contract a lot um, and that it's so cheap moving forward, which really heightens his value. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a guy who is um, necessarily super duper young now. He's he's been up for quite a while, but with with all that extra control on a cheap contract that's going to that's going to that's going to see an uptick in his value and um with the way he's pitched recently i mean a 1 1.58 ERA in the last 8 starts um i think people are almost overvaluing him now mm-hmm. um there was some uh, talk on twitter today um about Julio as there has, has been really most days recently and there was some talk about what kind of uh package and somebody somebody mentioned a package that would include and i quote someone like Manny Machado <laughs> No. Um, to which I calmly, I calmly tried to point out that listen, Manny Machado is better than you probably think he is. Manny Machado is awesome, um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody on blast there. It was one of those things where, um, and they rightfully said, you know, Julio's contract, um, you know, increases his value, and I definitely agree with that. But at the same time, we have to be real as to what he is. He's not a dominant number one starter type, even yeah. with that deal. Um, and while you, you might be able to get, get a good package, in fact, I mean, that Shelby Miller package we kept, we keep talking about, that was a number one package. I mean, you're talking about getting Dansby Swanson, Aaron Blair, and Indy Arantiarte for Shelby Miller. That's a deal that you would have gotten and would have been acceptable for a pitcher much better than Shelby Miller yeah, is. That's, a lot of the national guys were talking about how they expected that type of return for Jose Fernandez, who's a bona fide ace. Right, and that's what – I think that's what's how at least people in Braves country are now treating Julio, which mm-hmm. – it's dangerous because on the one hand you just saw that happen with Shelly Miller, who you know should be at least similarly valued to Julio. I think on the open market, um, we can argue about who's the better pitcher. I mean, Julio has been much better this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelby's kind of had a rough go of it in Arizona, but at the same time, uh, fast you know re- rewind a year and you probably would have valued them relatively evenly. Um, 
so I, I can see why, why people would think that Julio would command that type of package, but it was sort of a one-off with Arizona where they really overpaid, and it's kind of gotten things out of whack. So um, as far as packages are concerned, you know, you're looking for, the, you know, everybody wants the combination of MLB-ready talent and high-end prospects. Um, you know, without getting team-by-team team specifics, it's kind of hard to talk about actual players and stuff yeah. like that. But uh, I, I would just caution everybody to uh, sort of temper things down to just a bit with Julio. Um, and you know, look, listen, listen, Copy's been really vocal about not wanting to trade him recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a question about that later in the mailbag. Also, kind of just the way Copy handles these things in the media. But, um, you know, how, it's tough to kind of figure out how much of that is just PR spin and how much of that he actually means. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that there's, a, there's definitely a price point for Julio that exists. He's not untradeable. Um, but at the same time, um, especially in season, it might be tough, tough for teams to really um, blow the Braves away with an offer. Yeah, I think this is kind of funny because I actually had someone ask me on Twitter a few weeks ago, I think, um, about if I expected the Braves to be able to get a package as good as the Miller trade. And I kind of just scoffed at it. Um, and I still think that's true. I still don't think Julio will get a return as good as Shelby Miller's, um, mostly because of the fact that we all agree that was it was a huge overpay by Arizona. But... Just comparing their numbers, uh, they're both 25 years old, and really across the board, Tehran's numbers are better than Shelby Miller's, and I don't know how much of that is just his numbers this season detracting from his career numbers. I don't know how much pull that is, but um, before Shelby Miller's bad season, I would have told you that Shelby Miller was clearly like the better pitcher than Julio. I would say Shelby's probably a solid two is his ceiling, and Julio I would say is maybe a fringe two or a three guy. Uh, just because he's been so inconsistent over the years. But really, I don't think that's the case anymore, whether or not this is the real Shelby Miller or not. I think you look back to his 2012 season with the Cardinals, where I guess, yeah, it was 2012 and then 13 a little bit. You saw that high strikeout potential that you really never saw from Tehran. So I feel like that gave him a bigger ceiling. And maybe Arizona was banking on Miller being able to reach that ceiling uh, regularly moving forward, but that clearly hasn't been the case so far. Um but even with that, with Tehran's numbers being more impressive, I still think you have to temper your expectations. I don't think we're going to see a trade that lopsided again. And, um, and so, no, I, I don't even, I'm not even convinced the Braves are willing to trade Tehran at the deadline. I know Kavi said he wanted to be overwhelmed to deal him, but do you think there's uh, logic in trading Tehran, considering how valuable his contract is, Brad? I know we've talked about this a lot, but would you trade Yeah, him? I mean... It's it's worth talking about. I, I don't think it's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, just because of the fact that a he's he's your only uh, quote unquote veteran um, that's any of any value right now mm-hmm. um, on your staff. Um, everybody else we talked about Whistler. All your other guys who are assets in the rotation are very unproven. Uh, Whistler's the most proven. I'll have all those guys, and you know, you're talking about a guy who's barely had a full year. Mm-hmm. Um, if that in the majors, so there's some added value there, which is some stability. Uh, you mentioned the contract is super valuable, and you know they don't want to. I'm not sure that Copy's going to want to bring in an entirely new staff for 2017, um, a year that they, you know, the Braves want to compete. At least they've been saying that throughout that they want to compete in the year one in the new stadium. And mm-hmm. um, while while Julio is not a number one starter, he is the best starter on the team and the most reliable starter on the team. Um, so to go into 2017 cold without that guy in the, in the middle of the rotation, um, would be a bit of an adventure. Um, there's definitely a point at which they will trade him if they get an overpay. I think that's kind of clear at this point is that everybody has a price, um, short of maybe Freeman. Um, and even then I think 
you know, they'll never admit that. But if 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 they were bowled bowl away by a Freeman offer, they'd probably take that too. Yep. Um, it's just, it's just that it's sort of the Kavi's mentality is that you know, there's nothing, there's nobody that's untouchable, and with good reason. I mean, there, there's nobody in this organization right now, barring Swanson, in my opinion, that really is on that elite tier of either player or prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, even even Ozzy Albie is a guy who we all like is not the elite, elite, super elite prospect. Um, he's a very, very good prospect, you know, top 25 prospect, that kind of level. But, you know, Swanson was number one overall pick, that kind of thing. Um, whereas Julio um, used to be. Um, I think people thought of him uh, as a potential ace when he was climbing up there in minors, much like Shelby Miller. And that's kind of where all these, all these, a lot of these comps come from, is that mm-hmm. both guys were considered to be huge prospects when they were coming up, and they both have similar, um, you know, makeups in general. But... As far as uh, Tehran getting dealt midseason, it was at this point um, because he's been so good, and because of the fact that once you get in season, and the fact that he's sort of started, you know, quote unquote, the guy in the rotation. Yeah, it would take a really big overpay, I think, for Copy to part ways with him now. Yeah, the one thing I would say is that I feel like at this point, given his uh, production so far this year, I feel like this could easily be the highest value that Tehran gets over his career because. Obviously, I haven't seen Tehran as much as uh, most people who have followed the Braves this year for varying reasons. Just looking at his numbers real quick, he's posted the uh, he has the lowest batting average on balls in play against him uh, in his career so far at 246. And then if you look at his batted ball profile, uh, hitters have a just a 16.9 percent line drive rate against him, which is substantially lower than anything he's ever posted in a full season. And almost five percentage points, actually exactly five percentage points lower than his career average. So I feel like a lot of this is him getting a bit lucky. Um, and if the Braves feel like he's not this type of pitcher, and I don't think he's a sub three ERA kind of a guy moving forward, um, if they feel like there's a team out there who who isn't buying that it's luck right now and thinks that this is his true talent level, if they're willing to overpay. I mean, why not go for it? You're going to get a pretty solid return. And I really don't think you can plan on Tehran being this kind of pitcher moving forward. Maybe people will disagree with me, but maybe you'll disagree with me, Brad. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree with you. Uh, Obviously, I want to look into the numbers a little bit more. but Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, even if he's not this guy that he's been over the last eight starts with the you know the sub two ERA, which I think we all know he's not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, even if he's a guy who sits in that you know three you know low threes ERA range moving forward, um, he's a super value on the contract through twenty twenty. You know, you're talking you're talking about four additional seasons after this year of really cheap control, peaking at twelve million in twenty twenty. Um, twelve million in twenty twenty could be you know what you pay for a fifth starter. Mm-hmm. And that's that's some serious surplus value, which is the only reason why you would consider that you know dealing him in the first place is that you know you might be trying to sell high on that a team um, a team overpaying because of that control. But you know the, a team like the Braves that has you know at least for at least for now has some budgetary restraint. Um, Julio is almost more valuable for a team like that, where Atlanta is not going to go out and suddenly spend three hundred million dollars on their payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, you you want to get some cost certainty, and that's part of the reason why you take chances on young guys. And but if you, but even even though he's not, it's not as if Julio's peanuts moving forward <laughs> on, on the budget. Yeah, he's very cheap. I mean, twelve million dollars in in the final year is going to be a ridiculous value. Give it even if he's just an average starter. Like even if he's a guy who's going to give you like a three seven five to four ERA, he'll be yeah. about on that contract. 
So you have to, you know, there, I know we talked about that a ton, almost to the point of you know, nauseum, but that's a huge thing with Julio's contract is just the value in, in, in the numbers there. So, yeah. um, you know, I, it's, it's really a, a unique case, which is why we, we keep talking about it and that most, most pitchers like him are not locked up for this cheap or this long. So I think that's I know that's why I keep emphasizing it. It's, it's not a normal, it's not exactly a normal circumstance, but um, I, I do think there's something to the sell high aspect though. Yeah. So if they could get an overpay, uh, and you know, I would definitely not hesitate to pull the trigger if you're getting a, an ace type return for Julio, who I don't think is an ace. Yep. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Kind of to add a wrinkle to this conversation is the fact that um, given given the number of pitching prospects that the Braves have, you could also argue that Tehran's contract is less valuable for a team like the Braves. Who are planning on some of these, or a lot of these young starting pitchers to come in and really fill their rotation moving forward, and if they can uh, flip a guy like Tehran when his value is this high to to fill an offensive need that maybe they're not uh, capable of filling, like something in the outfield, uh, as far as a, a bona fide bat in the outfield to bring some pop to this lineup, you can maybe argue that his contract isn't as valuable to this team specifically just because you've got so many young guys who uh, the team is planning on stepping into the rotation in the next few years. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That that is one wrinkle in the uh, Julio thing is if, if 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 you traded him for an for an actual major league ready bat that you knew was going to be potent, mm-hmm. like not not a you know not a like not a John Carlos Stanton. Stanton. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> no, not John Carlos. No. I know, I know you're kidding. <laughs> Let's make sure that people know that, that that was a joke. But um, no, it's but you're right. It's one of those things where. If you're not trading Julio for a for a 19 year old prospect who's way who's a long a long way away, but more of a uh, an established bat, mm-hmm. given that the Braves are not been they're not shy about talking about how they want to be competitive next year, and it's really, um, if you look a little bit closely, it's going to be a challenge to put together a major league you know a major league ready lineup to compete in 2017, given what's on the team right now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a uh, a swing and close your eye situation. Um, so if, if Julio, if Julio could, could bring back a legitimate bat in the middle of that lineup, then that's something you definitely have to look at given, given the rest of the roster. Cause right now moving forward in 2017, you, you know, of exactly one bat that you, mm. that's good, that's reliable and that's Freddie Freeman. And outside of that, um, you're talking about really young guys like Swanson and Albies or, um, maybe free agents, which you, you don't, you're not in a position where you're going to be able to overpay to just sign the world. So, um, it's gonna be tough to get to that road to, to the uh, lineup the way you want to see it, and if Julio can add to that on, on a quick timetable, then by all means do it. Yeah, just before we beat this horse into the ground, I think one of the names that I saw that was actually really interesting, kind of uh, piqued my interest, was George Springer in return. I think that's the kind of a player that if you could get in return, you maybe pull the trigger on a deal like that. But um, I don't know too much about his contract details, but I feel I like would, uh, uh, I feel I like would, people would be pretty excited about that, right? I don't know if Taron could even bring him back, but. I, I was going to say I highly doubt that Houston yeah. going to do that only because I think uh, yeah, he's in Springer under control younger. to 2020. Yeah, Springer's younger, under control. He's 26. Oh, no, he's not younger. Sorry. They're about he's, the same age. They're about the same still, age, I guess. But. but young, controlled guy, kind of the same mold as Tehran, really, at, the, at a service level as being a talented young player under uh, really good control for a few more years. So, yeah, I yeah, don't know I was, if I would, could bring that back, but... I would run. I would run, not walk, to take that deal. I don't know if that's going to be on the table, but yeah, this one I'm not a GM. Heads that, though. It's, it's one of those things where that, that's what you want to do. You want you want to swing high, and I think Cox's going to value Julio super high right now because he can. Because um, there's there's no there's no sin in keeping and just keeping him. Just just roll, run, run it back with Julio. 
know that you're going to fill one of your five rotation spots with a quality guy at a good mm-hmm. price, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nope, not at all. All right, moving on to uh, another bit of Braves news that actually happened today. Uh, the Jason Gridley trade. This is kind of a minor deal, but I feel like given Gridley's role with the team over the past few years, maybe maybe I'm underselling it a little bit. But uh, the Braves traded Gridley to Toronto for minor league right-handed pitcher Sean Ratcliffe. Brad, who you know all about. Can you tell us a little bit about Ratcliffe? No. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a running joke about uh, around Braves' uh, Twitter today was that there was not a lot of information readily available about Mr. Ratcliffe. Um, this is one of those deals that it was basically just about getting rid of Grilly and getting something, uh, quote-unquote, in return. Um, I, I think you made a good point about Grilly offline that I'll let you say now about um, another reason the Braves might have done that. Yeah, so me and Brad were talking about this earlier, and I felt like this, like right when I saw this deal, I didn't even know who the Braves got back, but I was like, oh, okay, they traded Grilly. Um, obviously, they got Simmons coming up, who's going to join the bullpen soon. Grilly really hasn't looked that great this season, um, but... It's obvious that the team really likes this guy. They appreciate his work ethic and what he's trying to do for the team. Uh, so I feel like this is just kind of a, a hat tip to Jason Greeley, trying to get him with another team, see if he can continue to salvage his career moving forward. And then, who knows, I don't know anything about this Ratcliffe guy, but presumably the Braves know more about him than we do. Um, and they've made no, uh, they haven't been quiet about taking bets on pitchers with a lot of stuff who maybe don't have the results that can back that up, but... I don't know if Ratcliffe will become of anything, but I believe they clear a little bit of salary with this and open up a bullpen spot for Shea Simmons, so I can't complain too much about it. It's not like Gurley had a ton of trade value anyways, so kind of a minor deal for me, but hopefully Jason Gurley can uh, do something with Toronto. He seems like a stand-up guy, um, and we'll just see what happens with it moving forward, but I don't expect too much from Ratcliffe. No, yeah, while we're here on Ratcliffe, just because I have it in front of me, this is a, 20 year one, a 21-year-old pitcher who was, who was an 18th-round pick of the Blue Jays in 2013, um, six foot four, 200 pounds, nothing particularly impressive on his profile. I think this is basically, as you mentioned, this is kind of a goodwill gesture for Grilly, who's talking about a guy who's 39 years old. It wasn't as if the Braves could see Grilly as part of their future. Uh, this, but he did have more than 30 saves with the team over the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Grilly didn't do anything with the Braves, but you know, balance of injury issues. Um, this year has a 6.88 walks per nine uh, walk rate, which is going to be a problem. It's pretty bad. Um, I, I don't think he's that bad. I really don't. But at the same time, he's not exactly a game-changing pitcher. They need a, they need a spot for Shea Simmons, and you know, in, in order to avoid getting you know parting ways with any of the younger potential future value guys in the bullpen, you you part ways with Grilly, um, get get something back, and uh, say goodbye to the 39 year old, and uh, thank him for his service. So I think it's. You mentioned it's it's more of a minor deal, but it's certainly worth noting for a guy who was a closer not very long ago. Yep, I don't think there's too much we need to talk about for that. Um, let's see, Eric Ibar, will he ever play in Atlanta again? He was placed on the deal with a foot injury, and he's been the worst player in baseball at this point, according to WAR. He's got a negative 1.7 F WAR with a 13 WRC plus, which is. 13 terrible like i was just pulling up numbers before this like trying to pull up what the average like pitcher wrc plus is and i'll get back to you when i get that but brad like what the heck has gone on with ibar this season uh i mean we've talked about it a few times but it's really hard to overstate how bad he's been um you mentioned the 13 wrc plus um he's slugging 209 um for the season um and 163 plate appearances, which is ghastly terrible. 
Um, he has a, he has minus six uh, defensive run save. He's been you know the worst defensive defensive shortstop in the league. Uh, it's really a bad combination to be the worst defensive shortstop and the worst hitting shortstop uh, in the league. And uh, it's not hy- it's not hyperbolic to suggest that he's the worst player in baseball this mm-hmm. season. Um, I still think there's at least some faint hope of him being a major league baseball player again, which he's not been this year. Because um, he's he's only thirty two years old. I mean, it's not as if he's you know thirty eight years old and there's you know he's he's just gone. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, with Swanson and Albies potentially coming up, um, and Iber on the DL, and with a couple of internal options, you know they have Daniel Castro, they have um, Chase Diano, they have Gordon Beckham, um, even Jace Peterson. They've got some guys around. So that if, if they wanted to part ways with Ibar and just say you know. Here's your release. Hopefully, you can land with a team. Um, that wouldn't surprise me when he comes off the DL. Um, we don't. I don't have any inside info on that, so it's not like um, I'm, I'm calling that based on a source or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But he's been so bad that it's it seems like a good time to jump off, um, given that he's hurt. Um, to you know, spend these two weeks without him, and and uh, it's it, it. This already did start a few days ago, but you know, n- the next week or so um, without him. Playing, playing the lesser guys, and you're really just trying to bridge the gap until you can get to either Albies or Swanson uh, at some point this year, which we I think we both expect one of those guys to be playing shortstop by the end of the season. Yep. So, um, yeah, it just Ibar's been so bad. <laughs> it's it's, it's, to, almost, uh, it's funny to talk about. You know? To kind of put into context how bad he's been, here are a few players who have a better WRC+, plus, which really, and we'll get into this more in general, but this is a pretty good statistic. If you're just going to look at one statistic to kind of Check on offensive value. WRC plus is a pretty good number to do it. But here are some players who have a better WRC plus than Ibar's 13. Uh, Mike Fultonevich, Madison Bumgarner, David Price, Jake Peavy, Jeremy Hillickson, Jose Fernandez. Uh, the point here is that there are 51 pitchers this oh, year right. who have a better WRC plus. Clayton Kershaw barely misses the cut. He's got a 10 WRC plus. So you could presumably argue that Clayton Kershaw is just as valuable as a hitter without even allowing him to pitch games. He's just as valuable as a hitter as Eric Ibar, which is oh terrifying. certainly. I mean, Julio Tehran is a better hitter than Eric Ibar right now. It's sad, right? Which is, and I mean, there are, there are several guys with like uh, twenty plus plate appearances. We're not even talking about a couple at bats. Like Adam Wainwright, he's batting two sixty three with a six eighty four slugging percentage and uh, twenty two plate appearances. Yeah, I, awesome. I was I was talking on Twitter a bit about Ibar the other day with a couple guys, and just to the fact that it is really unspeakable to have negative one point seven WAR on Memorial Day. <laughs> like that's trying. I know we, we have some readers that don't love WAR, and you know that's fine. But it's it's really just an it's just an estimate of overall value. I get all that, but like it's very hard to play enough and be bad enough to get that kind of that kind of death production mm-hmm. in less than two months. So it's not as if Ibar, you know, most guys who are this bad aren't going to play as much as he has to get 163 plate appearances in 44 games. Like you're basically starting every day. I mean, and it is fair to say that he's fallen out of favor a bit right before he got injured. He was mm-hmm. not in the lineup all the time, but he was in the lineup all the time for a good month, month and a half Yeah, as just a complete and utter black hole. So um, it really, I mean, I, I feel bad in a sense, you know, sort of poking fun at how bad he's been because this is, this is a guy who's, he is trying. The guy, he, he's not trying to be this bad. He wants, he wants to be a major league player because the thing is, like, 
when the Braves acquired Eric Ibar, no one expected him to be this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's fair to say that no one expected him to be particularly good, at least people that were paying attention. I mean, I thought he was going to hit like average, if like above well, average for the position and like be an average major league hitter. I don't think anyone expected this. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at his numbers, like his worst, his worst war as a starter was one, which was last year. Mm-hmm. And even then, which is not great, but I mean, he hit, he hit 270. Um, he played reasonable defense according to all the advanced metrics. Like he didn't have any power. And like, if you told me what he did last year was going to happen this year, I would have said, yay kind of thing. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I would not would have been, I would not have been terribly overwhelmed by that. But at the same time, like there is a steep drop from his, from what was his worst season a year ago to where he is now. So I feel bad in a sense that he's not this bad. I don't believe that he's this bad. And maybe there's an, some sort of overarching injury that he's not talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can get a little bit healthier. Um, but at the same time, his future is not going to be with the Braves. That's pretty clear at this point. And, uh, you know, for his sake, I hope he can bounce back in the future. But I think it's, it might be time. It might be a good jumping off point for the Braves to sort of get out from underneath this as soon as he comes off the deal. Yeah, I was about to ask you, how much of this do you think is the fact that this is the first time in his career that he's been with an organization that's not the Los Angeles Angels? Do you think that it's possible for a player to, to drop off this steeply in production just because he's changed – organizations i mean he's a guy that's been around for a while it's not like he's a young player who just got into the country and is moving to a new team or anything like he's been in the league for since 2008 as a regular really 2007 yeah this is a guy with almost 5,000 career career plate appearances like this is not a new a new player so i'm tempted to say no i mean i'm sure there's something to the fact that these guys are human beings Mm -hmm. You you get you get traded to a new situation where you've never been before there's probably some adjustment period there but it's it's really tough to explain away this kind of draw. It's the same so, game, yeah. Yeah, you're still playing the same. He's and you're in an easier league to hit. Yeah, easier league to hit. He's playing the same position. It's not as if they have a position change, which, which you know we talked about in this podcast a couple times, where of being skeptical that that can really get, mess with the guy's head. But mm-hmm. you you don't even have that excuse. It's one of those things where it's just a sudden disastrous drop at a really inopportune time for him in the in the last year of a, of a four year contract and. Um, you want to see it. It's to the point where I'm rooting for him to to uh, to get better, just so he can stay in the league moving forward. Because you you don't want to wish that that type of disaster on anybody. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so moving forward, if the Braves were to cut Babe Ibar, would you bring up one of the Uber prospects or keep going with stopgap guys until later on in this year? I'm at the point now where as soon as we get past the Super Two deadline, which it's kind of a floating target, mm-hmm. um, depending on who you ask. Um, once you're assured that you're past that deadline. I'm I'm good with basically anything at this point. Um, I'd be okay with rolling with the Daniel Castro's of the world um, as long as as long as possible. But at the same time, I think the you know the balls rolling downhill with uh, having Albie or Swanson in that in that position by the end of the season. Um, obviously, the team knows more than we do with with how ready the, with how ready they think these guys are. Um, but one of them is going to be up short, sooner rather than later at shortstop. I expect mm-hmm. both of them to be up. Um, playing middle infield together by the end of the year, and um, it's, it's really just a, 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 a discussion about when. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this- if I was going to put money on it, I would definitely uh, put money on Albie's being up uh, sooner rather than later. I think he'll hit there uh, before Swanson. Little little insider information that I've acquired. Well, he's uh, also you know he's also I mean he's he's a level ahead. It's yeah. one of those things where it would be kind of shocking. If Swanson jumped a level and jumped Albies in order to come up first, yeah, 
Now, unless no. unless something terrible happens with Albies in AAA, I think he's going to be playing shortstop in the big leagues before the season over. Not not to say that I think he's going to be the shortstop of the future, but I think we're going to see him uh, this season, which is exciting. What do you think of this scenario? That I think some people, I think it, I, for me, this is, this would be insane. But there is some some people that are clinging on to this idea that they're going to bring them both up at the same time, nah. literally literally on the same day, and just say, "All right, you guys are it." I wouldn't put much stock in it to be honest, just because. Actually, I mean, we can talk about Gordon Beckham a little bit, but like, why do you do that? Like, what's the point other than trying to put people in the seat in the stands? I guess well, that's yeah, that's that's the argument is to have a a it's great PR and b if you think these guys are going to be playing together up up the middle next year, yeah. you give them a chance to play together, especially because you know one of these guys, whoever it's going to be, is going to be playing a position that are, that they're not really yeah. used to. Okay, so I've got two points for this. The first is that. I would hate to think that my front office was making decisions based on uh, PR and uh, ticket sales. Like as, as terrible as, as it is that Turner Field is getting such such terrible attendance this season, uh, I wouldn't want my front office to start dictating moves based on putting more people in the stands. And second is if if you're under the assumption that these two are going to be playing in the middle infield, and the point in calling them up together is to get them adjusted to each other, why aren't you already doing that? Like. I don't know. I just, I just wouldn't. I would be surprised if that happens. I'll just say that. Oh, I'm with you all the way on yeah. all that. By the way, in terms of PR, why wouldn't you spread it out? <laughs> I, if, yeah, I feel like that would make more sense. Like you, have you actually two would get more of a bump. Moments, yeah, yeah, you get more of a bump from bringing them up separately. Um, but yeah, actually, you raise a good point. Like, I wouldn't. This is something that not a lot, of, not a lot of people have talked about. But why wouldn't they move Swanson up? To Gwinnett a little bit and have them play together before they came up. Before exactly. they came up, like I, I don't think you want one of these guys playing second base for the first time in their lives at the big league level. Well, the, I guess the counterpoint to that is that Swanson's already played there, so like he yeah, played in college but, a bit, and I think I think either one of them could handle it. But yeah, you make a good point. You're not just going to throw them up at second base at the major league level when they've been well, playing that, shortstop the whole year. That's also the funny thing about it is that Swanson's played there, but you know if you took a straw poll, I think most people expect him to be the shortstop and Albies to be mm-hmm. the second baseman. I think I'm so, starting to lean to the other side of the camp, by the way. There. That sounds like it. That, yeah. That's interesting. Why do, you, why do you think that? I've just had some conversations with some people who I feel like know more than me. And I feel like the, like it's been evident that the Braves people have had more faith in Albies than me personally this whole time as far as him being pushed aggressively. And I just get the feeling that they really think he's capable of handling that position. And I feel like they want him there. So, so I, w- I probably would... If I had to bet, like if I was forced to like bet on which one of these guys would play short, I think I'm flipped now. I think I, I think I'm going to the Albies. Whether or not that's what I would do, like I think I would still go with Swanson, but I think the Braves like Albies more there. Yeah, I mean you you would know that better than I would. I think I mean, it's not but... like I have a source telling me this or anything. Like I don't want to like blow this out of proportion, but just just conversations with people. No, I'm with you. I, it's one of those things where I I want Swanson there because I think that's he has the higher ceiling of the mm-hmm. two, and you know. In terms of value, your shortstop's always going to bring more value. Unless, I mean, short of short of uh, Albie's turning into Jose Altuve at second mm-hmm. base, which is obviously the comp that everybody uses for him because because <laughs> yeah, because of their height. Yeah. Uh, but uh, short of that, like you got to be a you got to be a superstar bat at second base to be a superstar. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't like the defense there is not nearly as pivotal as it is at shortstop to the point where you know I, all the, all the Swanson comparisons to Derek Jeter that you hear mm-hmm. in terms of his batting profile that doesn't really play as well at second base mm-hmm. like 
obviously that's a really good second baseman. If you're talking about a guy who's going to hit in the 300s with, with reasonable power, that plays anywhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of being the number one overall pick and sort of seeing that quote-unquote superstar potential, that's more of a shortstop um, profile than anything else. So yeah. I, think I, want, I think I want Swanson, but it wouldn't surprise me. Given that Albies is ahead, too, like Albies can just come up by himself. It's not like they have <laughs> to play together at the end yeah. of this year. So you might, they might give Albies a month. Um, to himself at shortstop in the big leagues, that might he might come up in July. We have no idea at this point, but he's he's definitely closer given his proximity to, um, you know, he's in AAA right now and having some modicum of success. Like he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he's been just fine there. I think he had a hitting streak a couple of days ago, right? Does he still have that going on? I don't I don't know if it's active, but yeah, he's definitely been better since that first you know week or two in AAA, and um, I'm all about giving him the first crack at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's been in the system longer. Obviously, he has more experience at the professional level. So, give him the first crack at it. Bring him up as you know, if you want to, bring him up as soon as you can. Get past that deadline safely, and then you know, give him a month. Give him six weeks at shortstop. See how things go. And if you, if, if for some reason you end up with both of those guys at the major league level by by the end of the season, that's great because that means they're both playing well. They're not going to just bring him up for no reason. That's and we, well. Hopefully they won't bring him up for no reason. That's that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. They got to earn their way up. It's not a situation where they hopefully are trying to sell seats at the end of the year by bringing one of these guys up. Turner Field could probably handle that. <laughs> they, sh- they should get some sort of a bump in September just from having the Turner Field uh, going away party. Yeah. For, um, so hopefully they're not. Yep, very true. Uh, moving on to the next topic. Uh, slightly more depressing than talking about our fun shortstop prospects. Is Let's go back to fun shortstops. <laughs> <laughs> fun shortstops is literally my favorite thing to talk about. My parents always make fun of me because I love shortstops, and they they always like. I always tell them basically the high school prospects are always shortstops because that's the hardest position to play, and they think that I'm biased towards shortstops. But let it be known, I love shortstops, so it's always fun talking about these guys. Um, what's less hard to play is first base. And the Braves' first baseman is currently not hitting as well as people thought he was going to hit. Um, he's down to a 251, 338, 419 triple slash. Uh, and he entered the day 10th on the team in a baseball reference war and tied for 9th on the team in Fangraphs war. So what the heck's going on with this guy? I mean, Freddie Freeman's supposed to be easily the best hitter on the team, probably your best position player on the team. Not even probably. He's supposed to be the best position player and hitter on the team. What's up with him? Yeah, I mean, to, to get this out of the way, I, he's still the best player on the team. Okay, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not freaking out. I mean, <laughs> there's I'm, some there's some room there's some room to freak out, but um, given that there's nobody else on this team that's particularly good, uh, sorry, with apologies to the prospects, we don't, <laughs> anybody on the major league um, batting roster um, that's particularly good, um, Freeman's still the best player on the team. But you mentioned the numbers are not great. Um, I was kind of going on a tweet storm about this today, which kind of prompted this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie's been struggling. I think early in the year, people were you know panicking. We talked about it on this podcast, and then he had a hot streak, especially in the power department. And everybody was like, "All right, everything's fine with Freddie." And now um, he's cooled off a bit, and the results are not terribly encouraging. You're talking about a, an OPS in the 750 range, um, which is playable, but for a first baseman that is not a plus defender by any means at a you know a less than premium defensive position. He's got to hit more than this. Mm-hmm. I think that's not breaking news at all to say that he has to be better than this. But some of the numbers are not exactly encouraging. Um, he is you know the lowest bad of, of his career, which 
you know, you think would be a good thing um, and that maybe he's getting a little bit unlucky, but at the same time, his hard hit rate is down. Um, his walk rate is a career low of 9.7%. And that's still a good walk rate uh, in a vacuum, but when it's when it's career low, that's not great. And his strikeout rate is, that it is also at a career high, which is bad, obviously, yeah. about 25%. Um, the walk rate for me is the, is the most troubling thing. Um, this, this, this should be a lineup where he's getting walked ad nauseum um, because there's nobody around him. Um, and I think early in the season, that was the one thing Freddie was actually doing was taking walks. Even when he was struggling in those first few weeks, he was taking a ton of walks. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, whether it's just a lack of patience on his part, maybe he's just a bit frustrated. He's still a relatively young player, so he's taking out his frustration in a way that's not benefiting him. But to see that walk rate go down in a spot where it should be going up um, is troubling. And he's just not hitting the ball that hard. Um, so it's too, it's still too early to fully panic. You're talking about this is a two month sample of a guy who's been good for multiple seasons now. So mm-hmm. I'm not running around with my hair on fire, but it's worth pointing out that this is a guy who you owe a hundred million plus dollars to over the life of the contract, and has to be good. He's your one. He's your one safe um, position player in this organization right now. Everybody else is either a, a vet, uh, you know, a low upside veteran or a uh, or a bit more a prospect. Um, Frazier, one established guy, and if he's not good, especially at first base, where a position where you have to hit, he has to hit. Um, it's one of those things where it's not like he's going to bring a ton of value elsewhere. He doesn't run. He doesn't run well. Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to popular belief, he's not a very good defensive first base. <laughs> he's a really good. He's really good at scoops. Um, scoops. Nation. Aside from that, um, <laughs> plain and simple, he has to hit and. Uh, I want to give him somewhat of a pass for this year because he's it, and he, I think he knows he's it. Yeah, um, and he's probably putting a lot, a lot of pressure on himself. But um, if we get, if we get to you know July and he's still doing this, I'm going to start being really, really concerned. Yeah. So when you bring up the the walk rate and the strikeout numbers, the first thing I think is, uh, in context with this season, is okay. He's really the only good hitter in this lineup. Um, is he pressing too much? So I looked at his plate discipline numbers, and his swing. Um, about three percent more than he did last season, which isn't huge. Like that doesn't jump out at me. But the numbers that I think are interesting are his contact, his contact percentages. Um, this season it's at seventy-one point four percent, which is like five percentage points off from his career average of seventy-six point seven, which is a pretty substantial drop off. Most of that's coming in his out of the zone contact percentage, so he's not hitting the balls outside of the zone, which isn't terrible. But you look at the zone contact percentage, and that's like five percentage points off his career average as well. And that's really where the concern starts to pop up for me. And then you look at the swinging strike rate, which is at a career high. It's at 14.6% compared to a career average of 11.9. And that seems pretty significant to me as well. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers here, but basically it's to say that Freddie's swinging a little bit more than he normally does and he's making contact less. Um, whether that's because he is pressing and he is uh, a little disappointed with the production that he has around him or there's a real issue there. Obviously, I'm not the one to tell you, and I can't know that. But you're going to want to see those numbers go back to their career, their career, career norms moving forward. And if not, I think there is some real reason um, to be concerned. But at the same time, I'm kind of like hedging, hedging all this in the fact that this team is pretty bad, and I'm willing to to wait for the Braves to put some actual hitters around Freddie before I like start to judge him too much. I guess maybe that, that might be giving him too much time. But uh, that is to say that I'm not super concerned with Freeman. It's a little discouraging, but at the same time, um, 
I don't know. What do you what do you think about the uh, whole lineup protection thing? Because I feel like a lot of this has to kind of ties into that. It's overblown. Um, I think we both kind of agree on the fact that it's overblown, regardless of whether we believe in it or not. But um, I do think that there's something to it in the fact that it can cause you to press. It it can get you out of your uh, habits that you need to to have to be successful. Um, Freeman's always been a middle-of-the-order guy since he's come up. But there's been guys around him. There's been Justin Upton behind him, or there's been even even guy like Evan Gaddis or Mm -hmm. Jason Hayward. There's been guys that he thinks are good around him. Um, and that have been good around him to quote unquote protect him. Um, he hasn't been just the sole guy carrying all the pressure. Um, and now, of course, he's, he has the he has the big contract as well as the, he's the one guy on the roster with the big contract. Um, for as much as we talked about the Julio deal, and he's he's handsomely paid um, by uh, common standards, but um, Freeman's about to about to start the big the big portion of his deal. Um, in the five seasons after this, he's making at least $20 million per season in each of them. Um, he's owed about, I think it's like $115 million over the next five and a half years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's real money. Um, and whether he, whether he is uh, pressing or not is something, again, that we, we don't really know. But I, it, I, I'd be hard to blame him for it just because of the fact that he knows he has to be better than this and digging himself out of this hole can be tough. He might have, he might have to take an offseason to dig himself out of it. Um, but at the same time, it's one of the spots where the pressure's, the pressure's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to be the highest paid player on this team. Um, I think for the next few years, I mean, there's a situation where the Braves, I guess, could, over, could go out in free agency and pay somebody big. Um, in conjunction with the new ballpark, but um, it'd be hard pressed to find somebody to find somebody that they're going to be able to afford and still be able to pay this much. That would make sense. Um, it's one of those things that, that that doesn't make a ton of sense, but at the same, like you know what I mean. It's one of those things yeah. where you're going after a top tier free agent, and, but the big, big, big free agents are going to command more than the Braves are going to be willing to spend. Yeah, while the mid tier guys aren't worth what they're going to spend. <laughs> um, so it's a nice situation to be in. Yeah, it's, well, it's it's brutal. Free agency is not what you do. Like, unless you're the Dodgers or the Yankees and you have unlimited money, you can't build in free agency. That's why the Braves are doing what they're doing with all the pitching, is that they're building through and they're building the farm system and taking all these lottery tickets on pitchers um, for this reason, and that they know they can't afford to pay out big contracts. So when they do, when they when they bank on a guy like Freddie, he's got to pin out. It's yep. one of those things where. We've seen him. We've seen him be good. It's not like this is a guy who they took a chance on with the contract. He was, you know, a first baseman who's already hit for multiple seasons and is still very young. It's about the safest investment you can you can you can really you can really give, mm-hmm. and that he doesn't need to be athletic. You yeah. know, if he's no, not the a, guys that they had the options of extending. When you look back to Hayward and Gaddis and Justin Upton, like Freeman was the safe bet. You're right. Yeah, I mean. I think there's an argument for Hayward in that you knew what his defense was going to be. Yeah. So there's a baseline there. And yeah, if we're talking about strictly hitting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, yeah, not even close. I mean, yeah. Freeman's the safest bet. Um, with that, though, there's he also has a predefined ceiling that I think we both have yep. seen. Like, he's not going to go no, out. I'm glad you said that, yeah. And so for him to, be, for him to earn his contract, um, he's got to be a guy who hits for average, takes walks, and hits, you know, 20 homers instead of, He's not going to suddenly break out and be a 35, 40 home run guy. I think that, that ship has sailed. So it's one of those things where he really can't afford to dip anywhere else, yeah. uh, given that he's playing a non-premium position and not playing it particularly well. Speaking of players who don't hit home runs and also don't play premium defensive positions, 
Um, Here we go, baby. <laughs> you wrote about Nick Markakis today, Brad. And Nick, for whatever he is, he has been one of the most fun players that me and you have talked about since we started this thing. Um, but Markakis, unsurprisingly, is not heading for any power. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you wrote about today. We'll link uh, Brad's piece in the post. If you have not read that already, it's a good read. I read it really quickly before this podcast, and I would recommend it. But what, what's going on with Nick, Brad? Yeah, it's nothing fancy. It's become uh, sort of a running joke that I'm the, I'm the Markakis uh, annihilator mm-hmm. or, of sorts. Um, I feel bad because, in fact, I was it, the the script flipped today on Twitter to the point where I was defending Nick Markakis, which I'm not sure if you can believe that. Carlos. Have you ever done that before today? I uh, think this is like a, a brand new thing to the world. It's become this thing where um, because I have written negative things about him that people think that he's just terrible, and he's not. He's not a terrible baseball player. He brings value, um, even with everything else that I'm about to say. He's getting on base at a nice clip. He's getting on base at – his on-base percentage is 350 for the season. Um, that's within like the top 50 or 60 in the, in the National League. And while that, that may not seem impressive, he's talking about, you know, if there's 15 teams in the National League, it's, which, so he's one of the top three or four OBP guys on each team. That's, that's, that's valuable. Um, there's a reason we've argued for him to hit leadoff on multiple occasions, and then it's because he's going to get on base. For better or worse, that, that's his number one skill. He, he gets on base, and there is definitely value there. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, he's playing a corner outfield position, which is <laughs> you know traditionally associated with power, yep. and he's just not hitting for any power. Um, over the last 37 games, he um, has a 275 slugging percentage. Um, that's not a batting error. That, that's, that's a is slugging percentage. Is that good? Percentage. That is not good. Um, and again, that, that's an arbitrary endpoint. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. That was something I uncovered with um, the piece that I wrote in that he was hot um, early. Um, I think it was the first 12 or 13 games of the season he was scorching hot. I think he had nine doubles in the first 12 games. Um, and all these, numbers, all these numbers are correct in the piece. I'm not, I don't have it in front of me at this moment. But um, since then, though, I was just trying to illustrate the fact that um, after that you know, optimism that we had, and even I shared that maybe the power was coming back after a full off season to get healthy and get stronger, um, it's sort of evaporated again to the point where it's even worse than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that's just him not getting doubles either. Um, the home run power, you know, we've been over it ad nauseum, but it's not coming back, I don't think. Um, but even, but it, just, just the ability to hit, to hit doubles um, would be huge for Mark because while he had the encouraging start, that's kind of gone away and um, 275 slugging is just entirely brutal, and that coincides with a slump. Obviously, um, you can't get to a 275 slugging without being in a slump. Um, he's a better hitter than that in the in the mm-hmm. grand scheme. I'll say that. But um, combine everything else with um, his lack of defensive uh, impact uh, to just that's me, that's my way of putting it mildly and nicely. Um, he's a negative player right now. Yep. Um, you know, F4 is the you know again WAR is a stat that not everybody loves, but. When you combine a guy who's not good defensively with with no power, um, there's really not a lot you can do in, in, in a corner outfield spot, and it's troubling considering you know he's got a couple more years left on this um, eight figure contract, and in the outfield right now you don't have any power. So it's one of those things where the Braves are sort of in a roster crunch, and I want to just highlight that a little bit. Yeah, no, I think you you basically laid that entire thing out, and rightfully so, considering you just wrote on that, but. I've always been a little bit more of a Marquegas defender than you, I think. I was hoping that he was going to be able to bring some more pop back to his bat this season. And after the first couple of weeks, it seemed like that might have been the case. 
But uh, it's not looking good for Nick moving forward. Uh, do you think this is kind of it for him? I mean, is he going to be a productive player moving forward? Because obviously he's not going to be worth his contract if he keeps playing like this over the next two and a half years. And you, you basically were the guy who said this all along. Like, this contract is a problem because presumably at the end of it, he's going to be way past his peak and he's not going to be performing up to the, the money that he's making. So do you think this is basically proof to that or is this maybe a little blip on the radar? Do you think he can be back or get back to being a productive player? Um, I think honestly it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, Mark Hakes is one of those guys and that's, that's not a funny answer. I understand, but you know, right now he's rational, Brad. He's yeah. He's one, he's one of the 15 um, worst qualified players in the league right now, according to war. The Braves um, have a little bit of a, a grasp on those players this season. Yeah, you know, Ivar is obviously far and away the worst. But and to be fair, in order to be qualified, you have to have enough plate appearances to where you're not yeah. yourself, unless you're a guy bar. Um, <laughs> you have to be able to play enough to be uh, and be decent enough to actually get that much playing time. But at the same time, Marquez, uh, you know, the contract stuff is brutal in that. Um, I don't want to, I didn't, I never wanted to be right about that contract. Um, I, I didn't like it obviously and I've railed upon it, um, multiple times, but it's not as bad as you might think because $11 million is not, a, is not as much money as you think it is. Not you, Carlos, but generally, um, you know, $11 million in today's baseball landscape as a free agent contract per season is not, is not a ton of money. Um, but at the same time, his defense is not going to get better. Um, it's probably going to get worse, if anything. And he's 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 one of the worst right fielders in the league defensively right now. Um, he shouldn't be playing right field, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the alignment they have right now, he should definitely not be playing right field. But given that the Braves seem content to play him there, um, he's just got to hit more than this. And I think he's uh, I think the bat is a little bit better than we've seen it this year. Um, you know, uh, he has ninety two uh, ninety two wrc plus at this moment. Um, that's not awful. Uh, obviously, a hundred is the is the standard baseline, and so that's a little bit a little bit under that. Um, but you can get away with a guy in your in your lineup with a ninety two WRC plus. Um, the problem is when you combine that with bad defense. Yeah, um, that's when you get into really ugly territory, which is where he's trending. Um, the on base stuff is nice, and there's a there's a place for it. But um, given the contract and given that he's playing a position where he probably shouldn't be playing, mm. um, it's going to be tough. Just because you know the Braves. I'm sure we'll look to trade Mark Akins if they can. Um, there's been a lot of questions about that to us recently um, to see if there's any if there's any market for Mark Akins because on the one hand we spent you know the last five minutes kind of crapping on his value in general. Yeah. So why why would he have trade value? Um, there is some trade value in that teams can kind of bank on his OBP ability. Um, it's sort of a plug and play guy, especially teams that are in the hunt this year. They're really trying to compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be an upgrade somewhere on somebody. And he, uh, he certainly brings veteran presence as well. Oh, the presence. I mean, the yes. Royals won a World Series because they got Johnny Gomes. Oh, Lord have mercy. Um, <laughs> former brave Johnny Gomes. Um, but no, it, Mark Higgins is a guy you could hide in left field or maybe platoon DH him, do that kind of stuff in the American League and have him be a useful player. Um, the, the problem is that if you're trading him, if you're the Braves, you, you're gonna pro- you want to get something in value in return, and I'm not sure you're going to get that mm-hmm. unless you're going to pay a lot of the contract, which they don't want to do. They don't want to pay a lot. I mean, they're already doing that on a couple of other occasions, but they don't want to be paying a guy like Mark Higgins who's just – he's not that bad. Yeah. You don't want to pay him to go away and not get much back. 
Um, so they're in a weird spot, and uh, this is a, an overarching thing that we could, we could spend a lot of time on, but your, your outfield currently is Enciarate, Malik Smith, and Marcakis. None of them <laughs> have any power, and that's, that's a spot where you just – you can't have three outfield. Your three starting outfielders not have any power and, ha- and have a major league lineup. It's basically impossible. Yeah, if only the Braves had someone like Melvin Upton Jr. to throw out there. Oh, I can't talk about it. <laughs> Melvin's been good, man. Yeah. Listen, three Melvin Upton. You got me on the rampage. Yeah. Brad has been a, a a defender of Melvin since day one. He's been good this year. Brad has Again. defended Melvin before Melvin was Melvin. Let me tell you that. Listen, <laughs> I, last year. Uh, Melvin Upton had a had a better WAR than Nick Markakis this year. Melvin Upton has a 1.1 WAR on Memorial Day. He's mm-hmm. good. Let me He's tell you used- that the uh, Padres beat writer AJ Casaville just uh, talked to him today. He said Melvin has been fantastic since being moved to left field. I can't so. talk about it. Let's let's let's, let's <laughs> I can't do it. I'm sorry, Melvin. I tried my best. You were terrible when you were here, so it became <laughs> difficult to defend you. But. Oh gosh! All right, moving on. Our good friend Tim Bostic, Tim Bostic thirty seven on Twitter. Give this man a follow. He has been uh, putting questions in the mailbag since day one. Multiple questions. One of his he asked today. He's been asking for a few weeks. I think uh, he asked, "Which stats do you rely on most when you evaluate players?" I would love an in depth conversation on this. Um, I tried to really bring out a few of the stats that we used tonight in our conversation, Tim, um, in general. But I guess when I'm looking at when I'm looking at hitters. The first thing I look at is triple slash, just because that's I feel like that's a really easy baseline to tell you like what kind of a hitter this guy is. Then I look at walk rate, uh, strikeout rate, and power. Uh, those are those are really th- three easy numbers to to kind of situate yourself with with the player. Um, and obviously WAR. I know a lot of people don't like WAR. Some people love by WAR and swear by it. Um, I'm a big believer in advanced metrics. Um, so those are the first numbers I look at, and then. Really, when you're trying to figure out like what a player is doing, checking out his batted ball profile and seeing if his line drive percentage kind of is in line with what he's done through his career, seeing if he's pulling the ball more than he normally does, uh, looking at soft, medium, and hard hit percentages, and then checking out BABIP and infield fly ball, um, infield fly ball rates for uh, just to see if he's been unlucky or very lucky in those regards. Because in general, infield fly ball rate. Um, it's going to fluctuate a lot, and if you've been on on either one either end of that uh, percentage, I guess uh, you can maybe see that something's up. That's really how I do batters, Brad. How do you break down batters when you're looking at numbers? Is there like one number you like to like point out more than others? This is kind of a weird conversation to have. We've never really had a nitty nitty gritty like numbers talk here. Yeah, we use them all the time, and I think um, I'm guilty of using them almost too much to people that don't understand them. So it's good that we're having this conversation. But um, you mentioned a ton of the ones I use. I think hard hit rate is an underrated one that I use a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to, you know, when you're trying to take a little bit of a deeper look at a guy to see why maybe he's struggling or maybe why he's playing better. Um, You know, it's, it's subjective because somebody has to grade out what hard hit means. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these numbers are subjective, the more advanced ones, but that's what I like. Um, WRC Plus is one we use a lot. Yeah, I'm um, glad you mentioned that. I didn't talk and about we, we talked about it a few minutes ago with uh, Marcakis, but um, that's an easy one that's sort of an, an all-encompassing offensive um, evaluator for, for position players uh, that 100 is a baseline, so that makes it easier. Like um, Just to say you know, anything, anything above 100 is good, anything below 100 is yeah. bad, essentially. The, the best thing about WRC Plus is that it um, – it uh, takes it. It looks at park factors 
and kind of normalizes that. So if you're playing in Coors Field, if you're looking at a batter in Coors Field and you're looking at a batter in Petco Park, which are basically the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as uh, hitter friendliness, this will like give you a normalized number so you can compare those two players while taking uh, uh, taking account of these factors. So it kind of puts everyone on the same, uh, I guess, scale. Yeah, it's one of those things where, as people that cover the Braves, we we don't have to worry about park factors as much as other people do because you know Turner Field's traditionally been a very um, middle of the road park. Yep. Um, so it's not something we had to worry about a ton with with you know our own players that we're talking about, but um, guys in free agency, guys that you're looking at as trade candidates, it comes in handy to normalize that stuff. Um, and in general, I'm a whore for strikeout to walk rate, um, mm-hmm. both as hitters and pitchers. Um, probably more so than most people are. I just, I like plate discipline a lot. Um, yeah, plate discipline is really good if you've got a guy who's slumping, like we did with Freddie. Like, if you see a guy who maybe is making less contact than he normally is, um, maybe see, ask, start to ask, is he healthy? Like, is, is he injured? Like, it, this guy isn't just missing out of nowhere, like, substantially more than he usually does. And then uh, swing percentage can just tell you a lot about a player's um, mentality at the plate. If someone's being really aggressive, maybe they're pressing. Um, I don't know, just and, and just kind of taking all these numbers in context with what this player has done throughout his career to see like what the change is, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think one thing we should at least say is that I think we're both pretty progressive, and there's there's always the fight between uh, advanced people um, in terms of metrics and the more traditional stat guys. Mm-hmm. Um, on base percentage, even if it's just something as simple as on base percentage instead of batting average. Um, on base percentage matters more than batting average. Yeah. It's just something Please, that. Please, for the love of God, don't be one of those people who just compares like two different players' batting averages and takes the dude who has a higher batting average and says this guy is more valuable. That's not the case at all. Like, just watch Moneyball. That's all you need to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like, think uh, if you, if the only thing you can take away from this is that on, on base percentage is more important than batting average. Like, you're a better person for that. I promise you. And it's one of those. That's one. Honestly, that was the argument I had about Nick Markegas today. Was like, <laughs> listen, OBP. His OBP is good. He doesn't make a lot of outs. Like in the end, you you want guys that don't make outs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good thing. Um, so yeah, it's there's there's definitely there's deeper numbers you can get into if you want to get super deep in the WRC WRC plus and the hard hit rates and all that stuff, mm-hmm. or you can just be more peripheral. Um, but again, um, OBP is important. Uh, <laughs> Um, if you want to talk about guys getting, you, you can avoid war altogether. If you hate war, that's fine. We're gonna, I'm going to use it because it's something that I think is a good, a good tool, especially when you're talking about guys um, and evaluating their defense as well. Um, again, not not every defensive metric is good. Um, yeah, we, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm more much more skeptical of defensive metrics than Brad, but we we well, and that's no, and like, that's, you don't have was, to buy into everything. No, that's perfect, and, and the same thing. And to be fair, like. I'm way less reliant on defensive metrics than I am offensive metrics. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm not um, trying to criticize well, you. Oh, I know you are. I'm just saying out loud that, like, yeah, yeah. listen, if you don't believe in defensive metrics, I don't blame you. I think I think defensive run save is my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Um, DRS, we've used that. In our, I use it in my writing all the time. We talked about it on this podcast. Um, but even if you don't believe in all of that stuff, if you don't value defense, you know, I, I'll try to sway you. But at least get. Try to get a little bit deeper into the uh, on base percentage stuff versus batting average, so we can get out of the nineteen seventies. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and then uh, really quickly, just on pitchers, I think. Oh, and also just to note, exit velocity is really becoming a thing. Uh, most MLB clubs are really putting a lot of stock in exit velocity. Just when they're looking at prospects, uh, they're putting in a lot of like tracking 
systems at like different showcases. So like MLB teams presumably have data on like prospects exit velocity. So uh, that's something that you guys can access with like Baseball Savant if you want to look at that stuff. But I know that there's a movement towards relying on that more. Um, I just wish it was available. I wish. Yeah. I wish every minor league park had it. That's the hardest part is that not as not having the regular um, stats for um, – you mentioned showcases and stuff like that. But not having it for their actual minor league performance is frustrating because everybody's starting to use it now. Exactly. So, yeah. I would hope that MLB teams like have that internally, and I think they do. But, yeah, as far as it being active for the – like open to the public, that would be great. Um, but flipping on to pitchers really quick, I don't, we don't have to have – like draw this conversation out too much, but – Strikeout and walk rate is obviously extremely important. Um, homers allowed. And then when you look at ERA, don't just look at ERA. Look at their FIP and XFIP as well. That kind of, like the whole point of FIP is to take out like defensive, like anything the pitcher can't control, it like takes that out of the equation and just says like, this is how well this pitcher has performed if he had like a league average defense. It's not like exactly what it is, but that's what it's trying to tell you. Like, like how has he performed without any kind of luck or anything that his position players behind him have done? Um, if you see a guy who's like, real, who has, his ERA is like two two runs higher than his FIP, you might think that like like buy on this player, he's probably pitched better than the ERA would suggest. Um, XFIP is kind of the same thing, except it normalizes the home run to fly ball rate and kind of makes that league average. So if you have a guy who's been like suspiciously susceptible to giving up home runs and you think that's maybe just kind of a fluke like xfip tries to take uh, account of that um th- what i like to do is use brooks baseball for when i'm looking at pitchers you can check out their like usage for all of their pitches their velocity their movement um and you can really dive into like pitcher detail i feel like it's easier to dive into pitcher statistics than batters just because you've got so much more to work with um, but definitely check out Brooks Baseball if you guys are interested in like really getting in depth with pitchers and looking at velocity and movement and stuff like that stuff's really interesting and there's tons of data out there to to check out. Brad, you want to touch on how you evaluate pitchers? Yeah, I mean you mentioned most things that I do too. I, I'm again strikeout to walk rate's huge for me. Um, even if a guy, I think it's important to know that like control is always good. Um, but if a guy, especially if, for guys that are not striking out people. Um, if you're if you're a, if you're a Matt Whistler type and you're not going to be a big time strikeout guy, you can't walk anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's strikeout to walk rate um, compared to two really is more uh, for me at least is something that I, I look at a lot. If you're striking out a lot of guys, you can get away with with more walks and so on. Um, but yeah, everything else that you mentioned, uh, Brooks baseball is really valuable in general. Fangraphs is super valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, most of these stats are just readily available, and they're always there year yeah. by you know year I by year. Took that for granted, yeah. But yeah, Fangraphs definitely. Realized we hadn't said that. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, I live on Fangraphs, mm-hmm. um, and Baseball Reference is great too. Um, they're both very good. I, I I spend more time on Fangraphs, I think, um, just because it's more everything's everything's in one place. Mm-hmm on one page so you can kind of just scroll up and down and find the great majority of things that you need. Um, but yeah, for pitchers, you're, I'll say this, Carl, Carlos is better at breaking down the more in-depth you know, pitch tool stuff than I am. Um, I'm more of a surface guy with pitchers, um, unless, I'm, unless it's something I'm really trying to study a lot. But you know, batting average and balls in play, this goes for hitters as well, um, has become in vogue. A lot of that's become, for me, it's because of fantasy baseball. 
um, and why, and you know, kind of trying to predict why guys get lucky or unlucky. It's um, people think it's simpler than it is. It's um, you know, it's not it's not as uh, as simple as look, this guy's BABIP is low, so he's getting unlucky. Um, or if a pit, if it's a pitcher, his his BABIP allowed is low. That means he's getting lucky. It's not always that, but it could be a, a nice indicator of um, a little bit of you know how the how the defense is behind him or, or how lucky he's been as well. So. There's stuff to look at everywhere, but uh, I think Carlos did a good job breaking that down, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll just keep talking about strikeout to walk rate. <laughs> no, but uh, it. no, it's fun to talk about. Uh, we appreciate the question, Tim. If you guys are curious to learn more about advanced metrics and just how to evaluate players on your own, or just you're interested in it, feel free to reach out to either of us for uh, stuff to check into. But Fangraphs has a great like just foundation for people who are looking to learn more about this stuff. Um, I just read The Only Rule Is It Has to Work by Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller. That's a great book that really talks about applying these kind of progressive ideas about statistics to an actual like indie ball team. Uh, that's a good read. I'd definitely recommend that. Um, and if you don't know who Bill James is, just Google it and just start reading away at that stuff because, I mean, that will lead you down a uh, giant rabbit hole that you probably will regret going down. But anyways, a lot of fun stuff out there. It's fun to talk about and – the great thing about all this stuff is that like you always have more to learn. Like that's why I love baseball so much. Like talking about baseball is like there's so much stuff out there and people doing such awesome work in baseball writing and in the baseball community. Like it's just I feel like new stuff is coming out every day. But not to uh geek out about stats too much. I think this is the longest podcast we've had, Brad. That's fitting for your send off, <laughs> I would say. And uh listen, if if you hate stats, there's also a place for you. Um and the fact that you'll be you'll, you'll be the person I'm screaming at, yeah. Um, if you don't like stats, shout out to Ben Pace, our former co- our former uh, <laughs> colleague who refuses to acknowledge defensive metrics. Oh man, okay. I, ho- I hope Ben listens to this and then roasts. I hope Ben does because I shout we love out Ben. Uh, ben also has the uh, the I think he probably has like a Ripley's world record for consecutive tweets to himself, which is impressive <laughs> and scary at the same time. So no we doubt. appreciate your work, Ben, on Twitter. Um, but with that, I think this about wraps it up. You have anything else you want to say, Brad, on this particular episode? Are we good to wrap it up? No, I think I think if anybody's still listening to this by the end, they, they deserve some sort of gold star. Um, it's one of those nights where we start rambling. But uh, shout out to you, Carlos. Best of luck with the MLB.com gig and the Padres. I wish you the worst of luck when you play the Braves, <laughs> of course. Um, but uh, don't don't tell anybody. But I feel like I can still continue to be a Braves fan. But keep that hush hush. I'm supposed to be objective and all. Uh, objective is probably what you should be in public, at least. Um, but yeah, you're welcome back anytime, my friend, as always. And uh, hopefully. The people will continue to listen to us um, when they're accompanied by the dulcet tones of my voice. When we <laughs> podcasts, we'll try that next week, and uh, we want to wish you the best for sure. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. It's been fun. Uh, I've worked with you for a while, Brad, and I look forward to uh, continuing to do that in the future uh, in whatever medium or uh, mode that might be. Um, but I'll definitely be around uh, helping you out with the podcast if you need it. Um, and obviously in the Talking Chop community, I've been in that, I've been involved in that before I was even a part of the, the masthead and I'm looking forward to continuing to, uh, to talk with you guys on Twitter and in the, in the comment section, uh, best of luck to you, Brad, going forward with this podcast. I have all the faith in the world in you, uh, and it's been a blast. It's only 15 episodes. I definitely anticipated doing this further into the season, but I feel like we've started a really good foundation here and I'm, I'm confident that you can carry the torch into the, uh, the dark night. That is the 2016 Braves season. 
Give all me right. the 2017. That's the goal. <laughs> take, take me to 2017 in that new ballpark and uh, all the prospects. It'll be fun. One day, Brad. One day. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And until next time, with Brad and whoever else he wants to talk with, this has been Talking Chop Podcast. We'll be right back.